You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We'll jump in here tonight. This is our, our third Wednesday in the book of Luke about prayer. And so once you find it, if you wouldn't mind standing in honor of the reading of the scripture, uh, we'll show our respect to God's word in that way tonight. Luke chapter 11. We'll read the first four verses. And uh, eventually we're actually going to get to the prayer part, I think. But as we've started in this kind of a mini-series on prayer, uh, I can't. there are just some things that I can't really get past as we... As we discuss prayer, things that in my own heart are really resonating and things that I think, uh, I hope will be a help to you and then tonight maybe some, even some more as we prepare to jump into each phrase eventually, someday we'll talk about them and uh, just, uh, the Lord's really speaking to my heart about prayer and uh, I hope that he will, as yours as well. Luke 11, chapter 1, it says, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the word. Pray that you'd speak to us tonight through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Prayer might be the most underestimated part of the Christian life. And to me, that's an understatement. It might be the most underestimated part of the Christian life. I want you to think about the things that we often consider the marks of a good Christian. When I think of the marks of a good Christian, I think of some, somebody that's in church all the time. Is that a mark of a good Christian? Yeah, it is. It's a good thing. If you're a child of God, you ought to be in church. You ought to be fed by the word of God and make church a priority. I also think about something like witnessing and and sharing the gospel, that's something that a, that a good Christian will do. I think about serving in a church. And I look around the room and I think about all the ways that each of you, I'm looking at your faces, thinking about all the ways I'm thankful that you serve at Eastside Baptist Church. It's already been a huge blessing to me to see how much faithfulness um, you folks have toward God's house and toward his service. Uh, I think about something as a Christian that... I think about personal separation. I think about the, the way that a Christian ought to look and the way that a Christian ought to behave. And, and I don't want to meddle. You know, I'm not going to get too much into this tonight. But, um, but we ought to be a certain way. I mean, it surprises people um, if, if, if we say we're a Christian. Even the world will say, that's not a very Christian-like thing to do. They even know the kind of standards that a Christian maybe ought to have. And, and I just was thinking about the marks of a Christian and, and thinking about all those things that are important. And they are helpful markers. They, they do help to indicate where a Christian is in their walk with God. But if you consider each of the things that I've mentioned already, they all have something in common. 
in that they can be seen. They're public. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not bad to have external evidence to prove that you're a child of God. Um, as a matter of fact, it's a pretty biblical thing to have fruit that others can see and say, yes, that is a child of God. The problem, though, lies in our thinking about the public, and I'm going to call them tonight, I'm going to call them the public markers. The public markers as a Christian. Meaning we often lean on those things when we measure our Christianity. And, and somehow we, we maybe pacify our conscience by saying, but I'm doing these things, so that means that I am at this level of Christianity. We look to the visible things as the true indicators of how serious and committed that we are to Christ. And though I believe they do provide evidence, our Christian life goes much deeper than simply what we do. See, we have a tendency to walk by sight and we assume that the things that can be observed are the most important things. It's just human nature. But that's faulty thinking for a Christian. See, our Christian life doesn't begin in public. And I think the question the disciples asked Jesus here in Luke 11 provides some real insight into what things matter the most. And, and that's, where, that's the approach I'm taking tonight. I'm not even really talking verse by verse tonight as much as I am considering the question that they asked Jesus Christ here. Lord, or, the, or the, the request, I should say, Lord, teach us to pray. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he was literally asking them to become his students. That's what disciple is. It's a learner. It's a pupil. And they did plenty of learning. I mean, he would teach them uh, many truths. He would teach them scripture. He would teach them doctrine. And, and, and that would change their thinking. But that's not all they watched him do. They also watched him perform incredible miracles. Things that were mind-blowing. Things that nobody had ever seen before. So if I put myself in the shoes or the sandals of the disciples in Luke chapter 11, and I had the opportunity to ask Christ to teach me, I might have said something like this, Lord, teach me how to walk on water. That's what I want to do. Um, Lord, teach me how to raise a dead person back to life. Because they've seen him do these things. Uh, Lord, teach me how to heal someone or, or a sick man. Teach me how to, how to help a lame man walk again. And honestly, if I could ask him to teach me anything, I'd want to do something big. I'd want to do something public. I'd want a public marker. I mean, I'd ask him to teach me to perform a miracle. To heal a blind man, to walk on water. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like that question that gets posed. Now, now I, I've got girls in my house. I've got five females, including my wife. I've got five females in my house. And honestly, still, I try to separate myself from some of the conversations because I've just, no man should enter therein, okay? <laughs> So there are plenty of things that I let my wife, and I'm going to let them take care of those things. They talk about that. But when it's just me and my son, okay, I have my youngest, Jace, is six years old. He's my mini-me, and we hang out a lot. On Monday, he, his favorite place to eat is Buffalo Wild Wings. I don't know where he got that. But I've literally for three months been promising to take him to Buffalo Wild Wings. And on Monday... I got to take him to Buffalo Wild Wings in Sioux Falls. He thought it was, I mean, I might as well have taken him to the moon. 
You know, I love it when they're young because they're so easily pleased and it's much cheaper. So my son and I, though, see, my, my wife and my daughters, when they get together and start talking about things, I mean, I don't really know what they talk about. But when my son and I get together, inevitably, every single time we get together, this question comes up. If you could pick one superpower, what would it be? Is that a manly conversation piece right there? If you could pick one superpower, what would it be? And some days it's super strength, and some for him. Some days it's I want to fly, and some days it's uh, you know I want to run really fast. And I mean, you, whatever. His superpower right now is pushing buttons, his sister's buttons. Okay, that's his superpower right now. I'm hoping he aspires to something more someday. But but that comes up, and you guys in the room, you know. That comes up a lot. That's the kind of thing you talk about with guys. You talk about what superpower would you have if you could choose one. I mean, we all dream about it. I dream about flying. I would love to fly. I mean, all of these things. I'd love to be able to do something like that. But see, I'm glad I wasn't in Luke 11 then. Because the disciples, they could ask Jesus for anything. And knowing myself, I would have embarrassed myself. And ask for something like, give me super speed. And the other disciples would be like, what? We weren't going to ask for superpowers. But here, I mean, that's what I would have been thinking. Something big. Something public. And the disciples could have had something big. They, they probably could have asked for something, um, for something impressive. But I, I find it very interesting that they, they said, teach us to pray. And I couldn't get past that this week. See, this was their burning question. When they could have asked for anything, in some ways this is similar. I think about Solomon in 2 Chronicles 1. And he went to, to the Lord and, and basically the Lord gave him um, you know, a blank check. Ask what you want. And Solomon says, here's what I want. I want wisdom. I want to know how to go out and come in before your people, Lord. I don't, I mean, he, he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for honor. He didn't ask for anything amazing. He said, I just want wisdom, God, because I want to be the best king of Israel that I can be. And God, you know what? God gave him wisdom, and he also gave him riches, and he gave him wealth, and he gave him honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have alike. And it reminds me of the disciples. See, if we were given an opportunity to ask for anything that, that, that we want, and he might grant it to us, we might go for the, for the shiny stuff. We might ask for something impressive, but Solomon and then the disciples give us a blueprint for the Christian life because they, they got the public things, Solomon especially got the public things because he prioritized the private things. He got the big and he got the flashy. He got the wealth and he got the honor and he got everything he could have ever wanted because he prioritized the private. See, God is looking for followers who place an emphasis on a private relationship over public showmanship. And I think very often we get good at the public showmanship if we've been doing it any length at all because we know what to say, we know what to do, we know how to act, we know what to wear. 
But Solomon and the disciples can teach us something here because they were asking something important. They were showing us that the priority in a Christian life is what happens in private. If God chooses to bless us in public, so be it. But the disciples and Solomon knew that's not where it starts. And they, like everyone, they'd seen Jesus' incredible power. They'd seen everything he could do. And the crowds, they were all into what Jesus could do. But no one saw what Jesus Christ was doing behind the closed doors like his followers. I mean, meaning the disciples linked his public markers with his private practices. They knew there was a connection between what he did out there and what he did behind the closed door. They'd seen him heal the sick and they'd seen him produce food for thousands multiple times and they'd seen him then after a long day of ministering and doing incredible things they'd then seen him retreat to private to spend time with his father sometimes hours sometimes all night literally sometimes he would retreat and spend days just with his father and in the disciples minds they knew there's a connection between what happens out there and what Jesus Christ is doing behind closed doors when nobody's watching. They saw his dependence on God's power through his prayer life. And so when they could have asked for a superpower, they said, we see where you get your power. It's your walk with your father. So of all the things you can teach us, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, anything that you can do in public as a Christian will be ineffective unless it's done in God's power. And according to the disciples' request in Luke 11, they saw a connection in Jesus Christ's life between prayer and power. And my question, if Jesus Christ leaned on prayer, who am I to think that I don't need it in my life? See, so far in this series, we've looked at how to pray and we've seen, you know, how not to pray and, and what to pray and, you know, the word of God should be our filter and, and tonight would be then why we pray. You know, we pray because of Christ's example. We pray because the disciples saw the importance. We pray because prayer enables God's power in our lives. And we are, I mean, now we already have plenty of reasons to pray, I know, but I, I want to get into something tonight that I think would help us in our thinking about prayer because I think it's sometimes we misunderstand something about prayer and we assume it's something it's not. So why pray? Well, my question maybe instead of why pray is why is it so hard to pray? Why is there even a message on the need for prayer? I mean, I've heard people say about prayer that prayer for the Christian is like breathing. It just happens. And I can understand there are times in my life when I'm in the middle of something that without even thinking, I pray. I pray. I mean, uh, well, if driving down the road, if something happens, and I almost always um, say, dear uh, Father, help us, protect us. And sometimes we'll be driving and I, I won't even be thinking about it. And I'm, I just pray for something under my breath. And my wife's always like, what? Looking at me like, what'd you say? Because I'm saying and I'm not thinking and it doesn't happen all the time, but when I'm in the right frame of mind, um, prayer probably should be like breathing. It should, but unfortunately, most of the time, it's not. And here's why. 
Because prayer is a spiritual discipline. And, and that's great. On a Wednesday night, there's no better way to turn people off than to say the word discipline. Nobody likes discipline. It doesn't usually re- inspire positivity. When you start talking about discipline, it's hard. It's, it's like exercise and you want to do it, but your body says, no, don't do it. It's tough. You get sore. It's a, it's a lot of work. You know what? Prayer is discipline. What people misunderstand about prayer is that it's not an effect. It's a cause. And I'll, let me explain that. What I mean is there are certain things we experience that are evidences of something else in our lives. For instance, I think of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The, the fruits of the Spirit are you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All things that we should all want to have in our life as a Christian. But those are fruits of the Spirit. Meaning, those are evidences that a person is being led by the Spirit of God. Earlier in that chapter in Galatians, Paul had written, This I say, then walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he starts talking about the fruits of the Spirit. But I hope you understand what I'm saying tonight. Is that the fruits of the Spirit are things that happen when we walk in the Spirit. They are the results of our being in the Spirit. So in other words, I can't go out and say, Okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to force myself today to show Christ's love to people. No, through the fruit is a result of something else happening. I don't say, I go out and force love. I don't go out and force joy. I don't go out and force peace in my life. It happens naturally as I walk in the Spirit. It's a fruit. I mean, no more than if there's an apple tree, it's, it'd be no, more, um, different, no different than if that apple says, you know, look what I did. No, that apple is simply there because at some point along the way, a seed was planted in the right kind of soil and it received the right nutrients, the right amount of water, the right amount of sunlight and started to sprout up. And because it was, it was in the right conditions, it, a tree grew and that apple had no more to do with being on that tree than, than you, know, you or I having a fruit of the Spirit. We don't make it happen. I don't force it. I don't force love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. If I'm what I'm supposed to be, those things just happen. I should want those things, but listen, Christian, and this is just a side, if you're not walking in the Spirit, you won't bear the fruits of the Spirit. You can't. So one thing that's interesting, though, is that in that list in Galatians, prayer's not listed as a fruit of the Spirit. So in other words, prayer doesn't just happen if the conditions are right. Prayer is not one of those things that while I'm walking in the Spirit, God, why am I not praying all the time? No, it's, there's a difference here tonight and that, that it just has been on my mind and that is that prayer is not a fruit, it's a commandment. In other words, if you're waiting for prayer to get easier... There's nothing in the Bible that says prayer gets easier. No, you're told to pray. You're told to obey. Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. You know what Paul's telling the Philippians? Hey, don't forget, you have to pray. you got to obey this. 
1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Why would Paul write that to the Thessalonians if prayer is like breathing? There's not a command in the Bible that says, breathe without ceasing. Why? Because we just breathe. It just happens. It's, an, it's just natural. If prayer was natural, not, there wouldn't be a command to do it. 1 Timothy 2 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Jeremiah, God says, call unto me. Because his people very often forgot to call upon him. Matthew 26, watch and pray. James 5, pray for one another. See, we have to be told to pray and how to pray because prayer is not a fruit to be displayed. It is a command to be obeyed. Prayer is not a fruit to be displayed. It's a command to be obeyed. And that's why I've, in my own life, and I, I hope for those in this room tonight, that's why we need a, a, a series on prayer. Because it doesn't just happen. No more than if I want to lose some weight, I just, okay, it just happens. No, i got to be disciplined. I have to go out and I have to work hard at it. I, when my wife says, let's go running, I can't think of an ex- I, I can't come up with an excuse. I actually have to go with her and try to keep up with her. See, prayer is a matter of obedience. We must discipline ourselves to pray. It's hard. It's strenuous. It's work. And we may not feel like it, but Christian, we must obey. See, here's why we must obey in the area of prayer. And we'll start wrapping this up. If you rely on life experience, you'll eventually face something you haven't seen before. See, unless you have experienced every life experience there is to experience, then you are likely to face something you've never faced before in the coming days. Because life is always throwing a curveball, isn't it? Life has always given you something that you haven't seen before. And if you're relying on life experience to help you in all your situations, you will eventually have a situation that life experience can't help you with. As good as education is, our limited minds can only take us so far. As important as developing our talents is, we will never be the most talented individual in a certain field. And you may be very good at what you do, and I'm thankful for it, but your talents are limited. You don't have unlimited talents. Your abilities will eventually fade. And I'm thankful. I'm just thinking about all the different areas of life. I'm thankful for things like medical advances. I'm thankful for health care. But haven't we all learned that even doctors have limitations? I like technology. But in this church, technology can only enhance what we do it will never minister to someone at their deepest point. It can help us, it can enhance what we're doing, but it will never reach a human soul where a human soul needs reaching the most. In all of these things, all of these areas, they have their advantages, but all you get is what they offer. All you get from education is what education offers. All you get from your talents is what your talents have. All you get from life experience is what you've already experienced. There will eventually be something far beyond your experiences, your education, your talent, your your intelligence. There will be something that you can't handle. 
And see, that's why we need to pray. That's why the command is here to pray. Because with prayer, you get all that God offers, which means there's no limit. So often, we get to the point where prayer uh, is too hard. And we, we can't really think of anything else to say. Or we can't really be motivated to stop what we're doing and get down on our knees and go before God. But what we don't realize in that moment is that that's the only way to pray. You have to discipline yourself to pray. You have to say, I am doing this just like I'm exercising. I'm doing this just like I'm, I'm working on something and I'm pushing through. I have to do this because there's a lot at stake. There's motivation. And the motivation is, if I don't do this, I'm going to face things I have no answer for. When we pray, we get all that God offers. I just want you to think about that. When we pray, we get all that God offers. See, that's why the disciples asked Jesus Christ to teach them to pray. Because they had, for three and a half years, they had seen what God can do. And they said, yeah, I could do something like walk on water. But that's not really what God can do. God can do things that go so much deeper than superpowers. And for three years, they had seen all that God offers. And because of that, they wanted nothing more than to learn to pray so they could have what God offers. See, the most important things in our lives depend on what God can do. I mean, I'd love to start seeing some souls get saved around Eastside Baptist Church. You know, that's not going to happen. For It's got to start with some servants who are willing to put themselves out there and have a heart for people. But even then, even if we all had a heart for people and we were all really pouring ourselves into reaching, I think about just this neighborhood right here. You seen how many hundreds of houses are there? And have you looked to the east, all the new track development they're putting in, all the hundreds of more houses that are going in, and all the thousands of souls those houses represent? And I think all it's going to take is for us to say, I'm not going to be content to just come sit in a pew at Eastside anymore. I want to bring somebody with me. I want to see some people get saved. But even then, you realize, even if we're, the one, if we're out there and we're doing the work and we have a heart for people, do you realize that saving a soul is still something only God can do? So we could say, I'm, I am very good at the Romans road. You should hear me, man, it's slick. But if I, say, if I say something like that, then I am basically saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a public marker here. But I'm going to go outside of God's power. So do you see that even a soul, saving a soul, starts with what you're doing in private? If you want what only God can do, you have to stop thinking, oh, I just have to do this. No, you have to get on your knees. And you have to seek God. And you have to find him and you have to hold on to him and say, empower me to do something that only you can do, God. See, all the most important things in life are, depend on only what God can do. Bringing a backslidden person to, to Christ, 
I mean, don't we all have people, even in our families? I mean, we could probably all raise our hands and say, I've got people in my own family that used to be with God, that used to be for Jesus Christ, and now they're as far away as anything. You know, the only hope for that family member that's far away from God is the power of Jesus Christ. It's not about you talking them into something. It's not about the, you reasoning out for them uh, what they need to be hearing. No, it is that you in private are enabled by God's power. And then maybe God can do something. The most important things in our lives are not things that, that are there are things that depend on God. Healing a body when doctors have no answers. Restoring a relationship with a family member. Forgiving a wrong. I mean, you talk about something that's difficult. Have you ever been wronged? And it hurts deep. And you, and you, you have a choice to make. Either you, either you deal with it. Or you grow bitter. And in growing bitter, become completely useless for God. Going through the public markers. But privately, there's nothing there. These, these are the reasons we need prayer. Because if we don't have what God can do, you and I couldn't, would not be able to forgive another person. God's power in our services, I'd love to see God come down. I mean, we can't see God come down, but we, can, we know when the Holy Spirit's moving. And I'd love for Eastside Baptist Church to experience the Holy Spirit moving, and I'm not even talking about it in a charismatic way. I'm talking about for real moving in people's hearts. But listen, church, that is something only God can do. And if we say, well, I'm going to have some slick, some slick stuff on the screens, and we're going to have the best music, and I'm going to preach the, most, the best sounding message, and then that'll make God move. No, that still can only happen when we do what we're supposed to in private. When we reach his face and ask him to enable us with his power, that's when the Holy Spirit does things like that. Not, it's not a public marker. It's a private practice that turns into something that can be seen. And so often we try to forfeit or bypass the order. We want revival. We're going to have to depend on what God can do. If we want Eastside to make a kingdom difference, we're going to have to depend on what God can do. See, to connect to how we started tonight, the things that, we, that can be seen in public are only enabled in so much as we take care of the things that are done in private. Public power is the result of private prayer. And private prayer is the result of disciplined obedience. So in the end, it comes down to how bad do you want it. And I've heard that, and I used to play football, and when our coaches would push us real hard, they'd say, how bad do you want it? And then we'd push ourselves through, and we'd be able to do it. Well, I'm not trying to be weird about it, because this is different than football, but how bad do we want it? Because if we want what only God can do, then it starts with us saying, I will be disciplined in prayer. If I want God's power to show me what only he can do, I've got to make myself pray because the Bible tells me to. It's a command. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just come out. No, I have to make myself. 
Now, who are we to think that we can bypass the most important things in private and have any kind of effectiveness in the things that are visible? Our public success begins in private discipline. But private discipline begins with a choice. Fruit won't be displayed until the command has been obeyed. So here's some closing thoughts. How's your obedience in the discipline of prayer? I'm telling you, this is convicting to me. I'm standing up here pointing a bunch of fingers at Jason Jett tonight. How's my obedience in the discipline of prayer? I mean, transparently, sometimes it stinks. And I know I should be better than that. I'm a pastor now. But I'm just telling you, the Bible's full of commands to pray because God knew it was not going to be easy. Do you skip the private relationship and jump directly to the public showmanship? If that's the case, then you're doing what you're doing without the power of God. Don't wait for prayer to get easier. It's a command and it requires discipline and we must simply obey. Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, if he was standing here after going through these things these last few weeks, if he was standing here in front of me, there's no way I'd ask him to help me fly. There's no way I'd ask him to have super strength. I would not ask him to do something cool. I'd ask him to teach me to pray. Because prayer is the superpower behind the Christian life. You know, I I hope that we can take these things and and apply them and and be inspired to pray. Because honestly, Eastside Baptist Church will only go so far without prayer. We need God's power in this place. And if we're going to see God do things that only he can do, it's going to start with what we're right here doing in our private time. I don't know how the Lord's spoken to you. Um, Next time we're we're going to get into phrases in Luke 11 and and beginning with our Father which art in heaven. But I I feel tonight like maybe um, we ought to kind of double up a little bit with our prayer time. And maybe in, in addition to praying for the things that we talked about earlier, you know, maybe this could be a time, a little bit of, of a time of invitation. I know that's not typically how we do it, but I, I just want to encourage you to say, maybe one of your prayers tonight should be, Lord, teach me to pray. And all the other things aside, we could go through the list. I know that's fine. But if God's not empowering my life, then I'm just, I'm, I'm just giving out public markers. So take some time tonight. We're going to have an opportunity to pray and pray for the list. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.